Welcome. You are listening to The Spiritual Exercises. I'm Rachel Amaday, and I'm really pleased this week to be hopefully helping you prepare for the upcoming holiday season. And if you weren't aware that we are about to enter a holiday season that is a religious holiday season, I'm excited to talk to you today because we have some really important events coming up. And I celebrate some of the kind of the traditional Christian events a little differently. I actually try to abide by what we see in the Bible. And I want to show you how that actually operates and works. And then you can kind of decide if that's something you're interested in doing. If you'd like to take that next step in really recognizing the truth of the whole Bible and that all of it is true and good for teaching and instruction, as Paul tells us, um, then this will help you kind of take those next steps and understand how to observe the upcoming holidays. So uh, I know I keep promising podcast guests, and guys, this is going to happen, but for everybody in the religious community, the last three weeks and the next two or three are extremely busy, and people are just overloaded in their schedules. So there's too much going on. It's been tough to get things coordinated, but I am planning on that in the next couple of months, I promise. In the meantime, this is the perfect time for us to do some review. Now, if you've read my book, you're going to know a lot of what I'm discussing today, but maybe you want that refresher. And maybe in this format, it's going to be a little easier for you to take it in because sometimes listening to a podcast is easier than reading for some people. So um, I'm not going to read from my book today, but I am going to give you a lot of scripture. We are reading a lot of scripture today. So get ready to be blessed in your mind and your heart because every time you break out scripture and you read it, a powerful thing takes place in your mind and your heart. I truly believe that. Um, I also wanted to start out this podcast. I always do this at the end, but I'd like to do this at the beginning. Please reach out if you have any prayer needs. I just feel like people have been really struggling in the last year or two, and it seems to be getting worse. I know so many people with kids who are struggling. I know in my own family, in our own little environment, we've had some major challenges in the last couple of years that have been heartbreaking and difficult. And we have had to call on the prayer warriors in our lives who have come to bat, you know, and they've showed up. And I'm happy to show up for you and put your prayer needs on my prayer list. So we should be doing this as a body. We should be going before the Lord on behalf of our brothers and sisters. I think Moses gives us a great example of that to go before the Lord and to advocate for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, please keep me in your prayers. I need it. You know, I, I think a lot of the time I talk about obedience. And sometimes I talk about obedience from a place of, I hope I'm disobedient. Because <laughs> fact of the matter is, I don't always do everything right. Right. I don't always observe the Sabbath the way I probably need to. I, I am not always uh, keeping all the laws of God. I'm not keeping myself out of jealousy or not keeping myself out of um, especially ingratitude. 
You know, how easy is it to fall into a place where you're not grateful? I mean, that's like daily, right? Um, bitterness, you got to fight bitterness. You got to battle with that. Make sure it does not take root in your heart because boy, can that destroy. So you've got to keep your eyes on the Lord. And I know sometimes I, I teach as if I'm doing all those things perfectly or not perfectly. I will tell you in my heart of hearts, I do this not just for y'all. This preparation is teaching me a lot every single week, and it's helping me be reminded of our great and glorious God, of his goodness, his unbelievable love, his unknowability, right? The mystery and the depth, and that I need to have respect enough for him to desire to do his things. I need to love him enough to be excited about obedience. And all of this reminds me, and I hope it reminds you. All right, let's dig into the upcoming biblical holidays. Now, listen, I've heard people say this, and I got to tell you, actually, when I've heard people say this, it literally breaks my heart. Like I feel my heart tearing up. Uh, Because of what I've learned in the last few years, there are a lot of Christians that believe all of the Old Testament laws, except for the ones they pick and choose, right? Ten Commandments, maybe a couple of others like tithing, but that they've all been done away with. And that everything that the nation of Israel did, uh, you know, given at the mouth or in the hands of Moses, you know, God through Moses, that what they did, that uh, it's all gone, Okay. Now I've taught this quite a bit and I did read to y'all chapter 12 of my book, Writing Paul. Most of that has come from a misunderstanding of the teachings of Paul. And we have to understand Paul was a brilliant Pharisee. Um, Paul knew the law better than anybody, right? He never disses the laws of God. Never, never. And he never would have because Paul greatly knew that there is a Deuteronomy test. I think it's Deuteronomy 12 or 13 that basically states anyone who comes and who teaches against the laws of Moses is a false prophet. Now, listen, the only word, you got to think about this logically, think, all right, we gotta, we're going to put our thinking hats on. The only word that was written at the time that Paul was writing was the Old Testament. We've got the law and the prophets, right? So everything they did, and we see this with the Berean community, the Bereans were commended for this. Everything Jesus taught, everything Paul taught, people were testing against Old Testament scripture. And they were saying, does this match? If Jesus had come and taught against the Torah, he would have been rightly thrown out as a false prophet. If he didn't keep all the laws perfectly, we would have disqualified him as the Messiah. He didn't break any of his own laws nor did he teach against them. And Paul follows the pattern of Christ. He hammers out the spirit of what God was giving, right? And he tells you the meaning. He helps you understand how to fill it full of meaning. Just as Yeshua says, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. That word fulfill is plerau, and it means to fill full of meaning. Yeshua did not abolish the law. The law still stands. Not only that, but the law itself tells you it's still standing and it tells you through Christ. Christ says, not one jot or tittle of the law shall pass until heaven and earth have passed away. So the law still stands because we still have heaven and earth. Heaven and earth testify to the uh, authority of the laws of God. 
Yeshua himself made it very clear. You should know God's laws. You should understand them, and you should follow the ones that you can. Now, here's where we get into kind of the weeds. So Christians go, well, are we supposed to stone people? You know, are we? And they they start to ask these questions as if someone like myself hadn't thought them through. Okay, so let me tell you something. Uh, The Bible's very clear that a very large portion of the law cannot be carried out if you are not in the land of Israel, if there is not a temple, and if there is not a priesthood. Okay, those laws, so many of those laws, they were running a society, just like we have tens of thousands of laws here. That society was run on 613 commands of God. And you had to have a priesthood and you had to have basically a jury of your peers in that regard. You had to have two or three witnesses, but it all had to be run through the authorities that God had set up. We don't have that. We're living in the United States of America. We're not a theocracy. Okay, which is what they were. And these laws will return. So here's the thing. We're going to look at some of this prophecy today. When Yeshua returns and reigns on the earth, these laws will be returning. We will be doing all of the things we find in the Old Testament when we are in the land of Israel. And if we are not, we are still going to be celebrating God's holidays. And I will show you where that prophecy takes place, at least one of the places. It takes place in multiple locations. But in the meantime, again, all of this to kind of give you context. If you are, I've heard pastors say it would be an abomination to keep some of God's feast days. Let me tell you, not only are they wrong, they are the opposite. That is the opposite of truth. That is a lie. You know, and and one thing that we have to consider is Daniel. Daniel has a prophecy about the Antichrist. He says he will attempt to change God's days and times. Days and times is the word Moedim there. Moedim refers to God's holidays, which is what we are going to talk about today. It is the spirit of the Antichrist that tells you not to observe these holidays. This is very, very important. You need to understand how clear the Bible is about this. It's not playing. By the way, if you go look for Christmas and Easter in the Bible, you won't find it. So not only are you not supposed to abandon the Lord's days, but you are not supposed to go make up new ones in his name, which is kind of what we've done. And so even though I I told myself this year, I'm not going to harp on Christians doing this because I want Christians to understand God is love and he is patient with us and he knows we're each on a journey. We're learning as we go, right? So I celebrated Christmas and Easter my whole life pretty much. And then I started to look for it in the Bible and then I couldn't find it. And then I started, you know, asking God for, for teaching and instruction and boy, did God send it. And in that teaching instruction, God opened my eyes to so much of the scripture that I had never really seen before, despite the fact I'd read it. I literally not ever understood what it meant. And so what's nice, though, about approaching the Bible this way is it makes it really clean. So instead of having to come up with all these crazy theological, you know, doctrines to get around, um, well, you know, yeah, God gave laws, but then he had to get rid of them because he didn't like them, you know, or they weren't they weren't intended for eternity or whatever, for whatever reason, God made a mistake with the laws at the beginning. Instead of having to come up with all these weird ideas around what God gave from Genesis on, we can just say the whole Bible is true, which is what Paul tells us. And the whole Bible is good for teaching and instruction, which is what Paul tells us. And we can say, if it's in the Bible, then God means to say it. And if it's not in the Bible, God didn't mean to say it. 
right? <laughs> so we can clean up kind of the doctrinal mess we put ourselves in when we try to make things up and make things be in the Bible that aren't there or take things out of the Bible that are there. But listen, let's let me prove it to you. Okay, we're going to talk today about three upcoming holidays that I hope you observe because if you observe them in your family and in your home, you're going to find rich teaching that points to all that Christ did for us and what he will come back and do. And isn't that the point? Like brothers and sisters in Christ, don't we want to be in Christ? Aren't we excited about what Yeshua has done and will do for us? This is what makes us family. And so anything that points me in the direction of Yeshua, listen, show me where that is in scripture. I want to understand it more. And that's what we're doing today. Okay. So don't be afraid. This might push some of your buttons. This might push some of your ideas and principles. Consider it. And if you want to push back, I'm open. Send me an email. I am always open to have those conversations. If you have questions, send me an email. I would love to try to answer your questions or direct you to smarter people than me who can help you answer those questions. But let's dig in today. Um, and again, if you could just take off your Western Greek filter, let's just let's just talk about the Bible, okay? Now we're gonna go to a place, the place in um, Exodus twelve where we encounter the first holiday that I want to talk with you about, which is Passover. Now, Passover is coming up on April 5th. And I know you all probably do know about Passover. You've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, and you understand what happened in Exodus, but we're going to go straight to scripture. We're going to read about it, okay? Because I want you to hear the words that are in the Bible. Don't, don't just watch the Hollywood version. Let's go to the word and see what God says about this holiday. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Okay, so one thing that we learn when we go to the story of Passover and the Exodus, and by the way, another holiday gets lumped in with Passover because Passover starts it basically, and it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So we're going to we're gonna get that in there too. And then in the middle of that feast, which is week long, you get into Feast of First Fruits. That's why I've kind of lumped three together here, but... Um, what we learn in the first part of this passage is that the first month of the religious calendar actually happens this time of year. It happens at Passover in the Passover month. Now, the Hebrew calendar has 12, sometimes 13 months, and they're different than ours, and they're laid out differently than ours. And so um, you just kind of have to think. And, and, and the Jewish calendar has two different New Year's in it. It has a secular New Year and a religious New Year, okay? So it's a little confusing because you're like, no, wait a second. I thought that their New Year was over here. It is, okay? We've got a couple of New Year's going on here, and, and we see that um, pattern laid out here. But um, the religious New Year is uh, the month that Passover happens in, okay? So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, we're in verse 12 of Exodus 12. This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. 
Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and on another one, this on and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days, except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses, and anyone, whether foreigner or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. So, um, and then we'll go to uh, Leviticus as well to grab some information on this. But I just want to first state, so you see here that Passover is associated with God taking down the gods of Egypt, freeing his people from slavery in Egypt, and that because they're going to leave in haste, they're not going to have yeast for their bread. But yeast then starts to represent so much. It represents Egypt. And Egypt really means trial and travail. Egypt represents sin. And so they're going to go out and they're going to leave sin. They're going to leave their trial. They're going to leave their tribulation. They're going to leave their cage, their slavery behind them. Paul uses this very same language, and we'll get to some of his discussion on yeast, but he uses this language when he talks about being freed from the law of sin and death. That is a cage, right, that keeps you in, in death. But the God came, Christ came, the Passover lamb came to free us from that law and to make it possible for us to live free from sin. That leaven, we're supposed to search our hearts in the time frame leading up to and during that week. And so as we approach April 5th, you know, this is something we're doing in our home. We're seeking out the leaven. We're using it up. Um, we're going to throw it out before April 5th so that we can spend that week just eating matzah or um, bread without yeast and, and food without yeast, without leaven. Uh, we tend to try to get rid of anything with any leaven, anything that's a rising agent, whether it be baking soda or um, uh, le yeast itself or a, even a starter. We get rid of all of that, okay? And so as you do that, you're also supposed to be searching your heart for sin and places that you haven't handed over to the Lord. Wow. Is it a powerful week? Because there is so much in there. When you ask God to reveal to you 
what he wants to change in you, I'm going to tell you, he's going to answer you. <laughs> it's not, it's he, there's, you're not perfect in there. Okay. Let's put it that way. God has been revealing to me in the last week, all sorts of places where he said, you need a mindset shift. You need a change. And I have fought that change and I'm, I want to stop fighting. That's why I love doing this study with you today because I want to stop fighting. I want to hand it over to him because every time I do that, he is faithful. He is trustworthy, right? And then my heart gets cleaned out. And instead of going before the Lord with some shame and guilt as baggage, I go before the Lord free. I get to enter his house in freedom. And that is so lovely. It really is to just have free conversations with the Lord where you're not trying to hide, you know, the parts of you that he is trying to reveal. You're not trying to avoid the conversation. You just let him have it all. And then everything's on the table. It's called honesty. By the way, too, I just want to remind you, you're not hiding anything. God knows it all. So <laughs> there's no point. Don't hide. Um, he, he knows. And still he's willing to meet with us. It's one of the, the incredible things about our God is how gracious and merciful and good he is. But look at what he did on his people's behalf. And look at what this pointed to. This pointed to Yeshua and what he was going to do on the behalf of all people. Now, we have the Passover and the Festival of Unleavened Bread in uh, Leviticus 23. I'm going to read to you from this section of Scripture. Now, what's interesting, and I try to remind people this, Scripture is not... um, these stories are not in order, okay? This information is not in order, at least not according to our Greek way of thinking, our Western way of thinking. We like things kind of, you know, one step at a time. First, this thing happened, then this happened, then this happened. But with, especially in the laws of God, with how he lays out the laws, they're not all um, put together in the same place in the same way. And it, it's, it doesn't, listen, these stories are not chronological a lot of the time. This is a hard thing to understand as you're reading scripture because you think that things are chronological. They're oftentimes not. So what's interesting about some of the laws of God is they are there are different t- pieces of those laws given in different locations. And so you have to read the entirety of the law to understand the entire dimension. It's why people misinterpret some of the laws that are harder to understand, where it's like, oh, they stoned people for um, adultery. Well, what you don't understand is in another section of the law, it states, it tells you, you can't stone somebody unless there are two or three witnesses and you've also brought the guy, you know, the woman and the guy together. Okay. They both have to be there. Number one. Number two, there has to be witnesses, right? Number three, right? They they had a limit on how many people they could um, uh, capitally punish, actually. So they had to be careful who they chose to stone, who they chose to kill every year, because there was a limit on the number of people that could have capital punishment in their community. And so when you put all those laws together that are found in different locations, I mean, maybe it does resemble our law. Our law seems pretty complex, doesn't it? It's why you have to hire a lawyer to do everything. But when you put them all together, then you get the full picture of how they were actually running their society. And by the way, not quite as brutal or horrible as a lot of people want to make it out, but it's because they have a misunderstanding of how the law is written. 
this is a good example. We have different aspects of the feast days given in different locations and different books. Okay, so multiple locations. So first we we were in Exodus, the first time this idea of Passover shows up. Now let's go to Leviticus, where all the feasts of the Lord are laid out in one section. Leviticus 23, verse 4 is where I'm going to start. It says this, these are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. There's the Moedim there. That's that word. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days, you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is a Sabbath day is what it's telling you back to the scripture. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I am going to give you and reap its harvest. Bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord, so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb a year old without defect. Together with its grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, a food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hin of wine. You must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. Mm. Interesting. Okay, so we have um, the first section of that scripture is about the Passover and unleavened bread, right? We have Passover beginning at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. And then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where you're not going to eat bread with yeast for seven days. You're going to have Sabbath days in there. Now, in the midst of that time period, okay, now we get to the first fruits. In the midst of that time period, there's going to be a Sabbath which will be a Friday night to Saturday night that's going to happen in the middle of Passover and unleavened bread. So you got Passover and then you're going to have a week of unleavened bread. So in there, probably there's a Sabbath. So the command is that when you're in the land of Israel, what you have to do is bring, uh, you know, a sheaf of first grain from your harvest to the priest, to the high priest at the temple. And he's going to wave it before the Lord. And this is going to happen. Okay, on the day after the Sabbath that's happening in the midst of this week of unleavened bread. So let's say, and this is how this is going to go down this year, uh, Wednesday is Passover, April 5th, and then you've got the Feast of Unleavened Bread happening Thursday for a week, okay? Now that Sunday in the middle of that week is the first day of the week. It's the day after the Sabbath that happens, right? And on that day, they would wave a sheaf of grain up to the Lord and they called it first fruits. And they also sacrificed a lamb without defect, a perfect lamb. Okay. So what are we seeing here? Well, what day, you know, did they celebrate that Yeshua had risen from the grave? Well, it was the first day of the week. It was a Sunday, Right? And so there is a command to go be in the community and to praise and to wave before the Lord on a Sunday. Now, why would that be? Well, we know now it's because Yeshua rose again on that day. 
and that we are always supposed to. We were always meant to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. And you have the resurrection call. It's called first fruits. Doesn't Paul call Christ the first fruits? Don't we know that Christ is the first fruits? He is the first fruit of a new line of human beings that can be freed from sin, that can be freed from death. He rose from the grave to prove that we could overcome death in his name by his blood. He's the first fruits of a new line. Here's the feast for it. You know, a lot of people do not understand they had a celebration for Resurrection Day all the way back in Exodus. This is a big discovery, right? To understand the tie-in. Why would Paul call Christ the first fruits? It's because they celebrated a feast called the offering of the first fruits. They celebrated this. This was thousands of years old. And Paul was connecting the dots for you. He's showing you, look, from the very beginning, God pointed us to his son overcoming death on our behalf. How beautiful. And of course, we do observe this, and we should. I hope you are planning on attending and praising God on the Sunday after the Sabbath in the middle of Passover week. Guys, that puts the date April 9th. Go to church. (laughs) Okay, go praise God for rising from the dead. Please, on April 9th, be in a congregation praising God because that is a commanded holiday, and it has been for thousands and thousands, long before the Catholic Church, okay? Let's put it that way. Long before the Catholic Church, this was a commanded holiday of the Lord. Now, do you call that an abomination or do you call that uh, a reason to praise God for his genius in that everything he wrote from the beginning was going to be filled full of meaning for us, that he knew from the beginning and he didn't have to change one thing. This holiday was not nailed to the cross. This holiday is representative of the cross and the resurrection. Passover and first fruits and and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, these were not nailed to the cross. These are the story of the cross and the resurrection. Did those stories die or do we now live them out? Are we now so grateful for them? Do you see? Do you see why it's a little frustrating when you're trying to show people this and they're thinking about it as, oh, those old laws, you know? No, 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 no. These are the stories of our rescue. These are the stories of our salvation. These are our stories. The exodus, the first fruits, the unleavened bread. This is our story. This is the story of our Yeshua and what he did on our behalf. This is our family. We've got to start approaching these things differently and more accurately. Now, guess what? These holidays show up in yet another book in Numbers. Numbers 28 says this about the Passover. On the 14th day of the first month, the Lord's Passover is to be held. On the 15th day of this month, there is to be a festival. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Present to the Lord a food offering consisting of a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old, all without defect. 
With each bull offer a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with oil, with the ram two-tenths, and with each of the seven lambs one-tenth. Include one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. Offer these in addition to the regular morning burnt offering. In this way, present the food offering every day for seven days as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. It is to be offered in addition to the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. On the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Now, end quote there. I just, as I was reading this, so there's some extra detail in here, right, of how they were going to observe this Passover holiday. Um, Again, to understand the law properly, you kind of need to read all of it. One thing that people don't often understand, they come across this stuff and they say, well, we're supposed to be sacrificing animals. No. In fact, in another section of the law, it says you are not allowed to sacrifice outside of the land of Israel, outside of the temple. Any sacrifice that is to be made has to be at the temple in Jerusalem. Um, and, and in this case, it was in the desert, in the tabernacle, right? Uh, we have none of those, which means it's illegal for us to do an animal sacrifice, actually. So please don't think that this is stating, well, we need to, how we observe this is we go and we sacrifice animals. No, 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 no. That would be a grave misunderstanding of the laws of God. It would be actually illegal um, according to God's laws for good reason. Can you imagine if people were trying to sacrifice this many animals and we didn't have congregations of thousands of people showing up for Passover who were going to eat them? I mean, what a nightmare, right? God, God, David tells us God's not interested in the sacrifice of animals. He, he, it's, not, it's not because he wants those animals to die. These sacrifices were eaten. They were part of the celebration. You know, you're going to make a, a lamb for Passover great. Are you going to eat it? Because that's the point. You're going to eat it, right? Okay, so they were going to eat these sacrifices. But um, even the sacrifices that just were completely burnt, which there were a few, you know, God tells us, I, I, I wish we didn't have to do this. I'm not interested in, in, in animals dying. This, this isn't the reason for this. This is necessary. And for some reason, the blood of animals is necessary. It's a necessary component to a lot of the system. The blood of Christ was necessary. We don't really know all the reasons. We know there's a lot about blood that makes sense. It makes sense that it's necessary. We know that it's a requirement because of the laws of sin and death. We know that it was the only route for God to be close to his people in the Old Testament and for Christ to be close to us after what he did. But boy, don't we wish it wasn't so hard. Don't we wish it wasn't so painful? But I think that's the point. It it is painful. It is hard. It is a sacrifice. Now, um, but God wasn't, you know, brutal about it. All of these sacrifices, for the most part, a few of them didn't, but all of them were eaten. They were part of the celebration of the days. So they were offered before the Lord and then they were eaten by the assembly. Um, Again, do not sacrifice an animal in your yard or anything like that. And yes, there are people that do that. That is a big no-no. That is not part of how we observe this, given the dictates. We're supposed to commemorate, not completely replicate, right? We're supposed to observe, not completely redo. God is not coming in to take down the gods of the United States in the same way that he did in Egypt. He's not going to redo it either. He did it differently through his son, Jesus. But it doesn't mean we're not supposed to commemorate. We're just not supposed to replicate, okay? Um, now I really want to kind of get you to, um, where the prophecy that we will be doing this in the end times takes place. Um, 
Let's see here. It's in Ezekiel 45. Uh, in Ezekiel, we have this prophecy about when Yeshua is going to reign on the earth. And part of that prophecy says this. We're going to start in verse 21. And I'm quoting here. In the first month on the 14th day, you are to observe the Passover, a festival lasting seven days, during which you shall eat bread made without yeast. On that day, the prince who I believe is Yeshua, is to provide a bull as sin offering for himself for all the people of the land. Every day during the seven days of the festival, he is to provide seven bulls and seven rams without defect as a burnt offering to the Lord and a male goat for a sin offering. He is to provide as a grain offering an ephah for each bull and an ephah for each ram, along with a hin of olive oil for each ephah. During the seven days of the festival, which begins in the seventh month on the 15th day, he is to make the same provisions for sin offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, and oil. This is future prophecy, my friends. As if you needed more proof that we're going to celebrate the feast days when Yeshua reigns on the earth, because that is a prophetic section of scripture, okay? That's a future section of scripture there in Ezekiel. But there are later fall feast days, I've talked about these in the past, that the Bible also says we're going to go and we're going to celebrate with Yeshua himself. I'm, go I'm going to go to here, Ze Zechariah 14, 16, says this, Then the survivors from all the nations, this is after the Great Tribulation, these survivors that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If any of the people of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptian people do not go up and take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles. That's another of God's seven feast days, Tabernacles. So we know that in the end, Yeshua is going to be instituting these celebrations upon the whole globe. Everyone will be doing them. And so we cannot make any sort of claim that God has gotten rid of these things or that we're not to do them or that these laws have been done away with. That is literally nowhere in scripture does it say anything like that. And I want to I want to emphasize this because I want to tell you, you know, in that Zechariah prophecy, there are consequences for those who don't go and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And why? It's because that's the wedding feast. That's the feast of God tabernacling with us. And he's come, you know, to get his bride. And it's like, you're not going to come to my wedding feast? Oh, really? <laughs> no, I'm not going to bless you. You don't get a blessing. Um, that's just, it's family, right? That's how family operates. But it's not just to tell you that. It's because God wants to bless you through observing his time, his timeline, his days. These feast days give you a clue into God's timeline. Listen, there's a reason there's seven days of the week and there's a Sabbath day. And that's the most important of the feast days, by the way, according to scripture. And that there's seven feasts of the Lord. Okay. There are seven spirits of the Lord right? There are seven churches in Revelation. Listen, all of these things tie together. I've done talks on this before, but this is all meant to teach you something about God and what he is doing in time. And he wants you to show up and be in his house at the right times because those times are meaningful and they're not man-made times. They are times that he has been keeping and that he has set from the beginning of time. And that's why those concepts were given to the very first church in Exodus. God wanted them to understand his timeline, his times, his time. 
and he wants us to understand the same. So I promise you, if you decide April 5th, we're going to celebrate Passover as a family. We're not going to eat leavened bread for seven days. We're going to be in church praising God for resurrecting on April 9th. Listen, you're going to be blessed by these. You will be. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of joy. It's a time of gratitude. It's a time of hope. And it's a t- it is a time to remember. Now, I know churches, they call, they call first fruits Easter, and they kind of do weird things around it that are pagan. Okay, I get it. Yes. Some of you are really unhappy about that. I am too. I wish they wouldn't do that. Uh, a lot of churches, they don't do Passover. Luckily, we've got. I'm, I'm at a church this year that's doing it. I'm so grateful. I'm, I'm excited. We're going to get to teach people about um, you know, some, some of the great symbolism in the Passover Seder. And almost nobody in Christianity does the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Hey, listen, there's number one, definitely no harm in trying it. But in number two, if you do this this year, I just want you to take that time to let God search your heart for the areas that you have leaven, for the places where you have sin. Let's go to, because Paul talks about this. He talks about leaven. Um, and the symbolism of, of leaven here is, uh, let me find this verse. I know I have it. Here we go. Well, number one, we got to talk about Yeshua. He's the bread of life and he is the unleavened bread, right? He's the sinless bread. Okay. Um, and, and that bread in, you know, the, the group of, of Israel that came out of Egypt, it led to the manna in the desert. It's, it's what sustains you. It's the bread that is completely true, that has no mixing of other religions or ideas or lies in it. By the way, the father of lies is very good at mixing lies into truths. And that's what we're trying to unpack right now. What's true, what's not. What's biblical, what's not, okay? But the concept of cleansing your house, your temple, your heart, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. He says this, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Messiah, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Ooh, what feast would that be, Paul? Hmm. Let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Could it be possible that he is talking about the feast of unleavened bread here? Well, I don't know. He's talking about leaven. He's talking about purging your heart. He's talking about you you having the bread of Messiah, our Passover sacrifice. Could it be that Paul's saying, therefore, let us keep the feast? Could it be he's talking about the feast of unleavened bread? Not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth? Well, he calls it a feast. First of all, he doesn't call it communion. Let's just make that very clear. He's talking about Passover. Let's make that very clear. And he's talking about unleavened bread, which is a, a very old feast that he would have celebrated his entire life in Judaism. And the the apostles and disciples at that time would have understood that terminology. That's not communion, my friends. This is Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread that he is discussing. Now, if Paul tells them to do it, should we do it? Well, that's a question you got to ask yourself this year. But guess what? I have given you enough time to prepare. <laughs> so for the, I feel like last year I gave you no time. And in fact, I think I did this podcast after the fact, and I felt very badly about that. This year, I've given you enough time to prepare and make your own decision. I want to encourage you to 
observe these fees this year to enjoy them and to teach your family, teach, make these teaching moments. What's so fun is when food is involved, boy, is that become a teaching moment, right? Everybody loves food. Okay. So when you get food involved, you've got a lot of symbolism in there and you've got a lot you can use to teach your kids. Teach your kids what Christ did on their behalf and their great, incredible story from our forefather, Abraham, and into the future of what Christ is going to do. I hope this podcast has blessed you. I know it's been a long one. Thanks for sticking with me. And uh, I will be back later this week with more.